the stock market floor to your laptop, we are Voice America Business. Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler show you what it takes to become a top 10% performer in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performances, co-hosted by Dr. Kathy Greenberg and I'm Dr. Relly Nadler. We are your leadership development coaches. And we have helped thousands of leaders and executives to perform in the top 10%. Today's uh, episode is The Art of Woo, Using Strategic Persuasion to Sell Ideas. No, it is a word few of us like to hear, especially when presenting an idea we feel very enthusiastic about. So how do people like Andy Grove and Bono know how to persuade others so effectively? What can we learn about effective persuasion and why and what you say may not be as important as how you say it? What makes uh, someone a good persuader? Do executives really need uh, to woo anyone? Can they just use their authority and influence to make things happen? How often have you seen business people use numbers and facts to get people on board? Are they really effective or not? These are questions that are going to be the focus of the show. And, and Kathy and I want to bring you the best in current leadership uh, topics, interviews with proven leaders, and provide evidence-based best practices to help develop more leaders in your organization. And uh, I want to welcome Kathy to the show. And Kathy, um, great to have you uh, be a co-host, and why don't you take us from here? Okay, thanks, really, and welcome, everybody. We know that leaders are really the heartbeat of any organization, and most leaders really underestimate how much influence they have over others, and thus they and their teams can underperform. Doing a few things differently can drastically improve your performance and your organization. What you're going to learn in these shows are how to develop more leaders in your organization or what happy companies know about performance, something about emotional intelligence, and the positive psychology strategies that you can use to improve your emotional intelligence. We're going to talk about brain and neuroscience contributions to top generation and gender differences, work-life balance practices, strategies managing your boss, self-management tools to be your best, plus and tips. Today's guest is Mario Musa, Ph.D. and MBA. Mario is a principal and a member of the management committee at CIFAR, a strategy and leadership consulting firm that spun off from the Wharton School of Business in 1987. CIFAR stands for the Center for Applied Research, by the way. Dr. Musa teaches in the Wharton Executive Programs and is a senior fellow at the University of Pennsylvania's Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics. In his new book, The Art of Woo, Using Strategic Persuasion to Sell Your Ideas with G. Richard Shell, Mario explains why wooing is one of the most important skills for any entrepreneur, employee, or professional manager whose work requires them to rely on influence and persuasion rather than coercion and force. Really, you want to talk a little bit about what we're going to do regarding leadership development before yeah. we bring Mario on? Yep. We always like to just give a few facts, given that this is evidence-based, just about why leaders are important. And we know that... Uh, 
leaders can increase their performance by as much as 77% while increasing life and professional satisfaction by 50% with coaching. Leaders have a great amount of influence over their team. Some research shows as much as 50 to 70% influence over their team, over the climate of the team. And the reason is emotions are contagious. As we talk to Dr. Musa, he's going to probably get more into this, but emotions are contagious, and leaders are the emotional thermostat for their team. So if they are uh, happy and calm and collected, so are their team. If they're irritable, if they're upset, terse, so are their team. And the keys on emotional intelligence is it has been shown that emotional intelligence uh, is the key factor for someone performing in the top 10%. And we also know why do you want to have someone in the top 10%? Leaders in the top 10% produce twice as much revenue to the organization as managers in the 11th and the 89th. We talk a lot about coaching, and when you add coaching to training, if you have training alone, uh, there's about a 22% increase in productivity. But you add coaching to it, and the follow-up is a bump to about 88% productivity. And the key is to do it is if today you can take away a few uh, micro-initiatives, you know, a few things that you could be do differently in your persuasion, that would be what we'd be looking for. If you want more information around leadership and coaching um, from Kathy, you can go to her website at www.h2cleadership.com for happiness books, tools, speaking, keynotes, leadership, coaching. If you want more information from me about some of my books, tools, speaking, keynotes, um, leadership, and boot camps, my uh, website is www.truenorthleadership.com. Thanks, Riley. As I said, today's guest is Dr. Mario Musa, and Mario advises senior corporate executives about strategy and competitiveness. His clients include many of the top companies and organizations in the country. He's a specialist in large-scale organizational change initiatives, and he's led projects at United Health Group, PNC Bank, the Georgetown University Medical Center, and State Farm Insurance. At Wharton, Dr. Musa directs numerous programs for corporate leaders, and since 1998, he's been the academic director of Essentials of Management, one of the school's flagship executive programs. He's also led the development of programs for banking executives, corporate security managers, energy executives, and physician leaders. He teaches negotiation and influence, strategy, change, and corporate culture. He regularly delivers keynote presentations and workshops for clients around the world. Dr. Musa is the co-author with G. Richard Shell of The Art of Woo, as I said before, using strategic persuasion to sell your ideas. It's a Penguin portfolio book for 2007, and he's published widely in the field of organizational dynamics, power, and influence. His work has been featured on national public radio and in print publications around the world, including Time Magazine, Business Week, U.S. News and World Report, the Harvard Management Update, and the Toronto Globe and Mail. His writings have been used in university and graduate seminars across the world. Dr. Musa graduated from the Wharton MBA program and holds a Ph.D. from the University of Chicago's Committee on Social Thought, where he was a graduate fellow. He lives in Center City, Philadelphia with his wife and three children. And I was fortunate enough to meet Mario a few years ago when he was leading a leadership development effort for a major mid-Atlantic regional bank where we met. We were teamed together by the client to bring added value to their strategic planning efforts now being implemented. Mario, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kathy. Redley and I would like to start off by talking about your new book. I hope you don't mind. We're very excited about 
The Art of Woo, something that many of us are obviously interested in. Relly, can you kick us off with sure, a few sure. questions to Mario? So, um, uh, Mario, the first question we have, you know, and this is all about selling, how is selling uh, an idea different than selling a product, or, or is it different? Sure, that's a that's a great uh, great question. Really, it uh, it differs in in three ways. Uh, the the first uh, first point is that it's it's relationship based. So it's about you connecting with uh, with another person. So the the selling happens within the relationship. And an, another uh, another key factor related to that is it. It has to do with uh, with credibility. Yeah, your credibility. Um, your your being perceived as credible, and and what we find is if if you're if you don't have credibility, your sale is is going to go nowhere. And it doesn't really matter whether your idea is the best idea in the world. It doesn't matter what you're saying. You could say two plus two is equal to four. If you're not seen as credible. Um, the, the sale is is going to founder. So that's the that's the first difference uh, when it comes to selling ideas. And then then second in uh, in at work in even in relatively small organizations, an idea sale uh, may need to be made to as many as twenty people. And there's actually quite a bit of research about that. Even the most uh, even the most simple ideas need to be touched in in one way or another. By at least five people, so um, so not only is a are idea sales relationship based, but you have to sell an idea again and again and again. So that means you need some stamina when it came, comes to selling your idea. And lastly, and, and third, your your sale needs to be ta- tailored to every person. So this is not this is not about mass market selling. We like to say that when uh, when it comes to changing an organization, you need to you need to do it one person at a time, and that means you need to focus on how that person hears you. Uh, you need to adapt your style to them. So it's very specific, uh, one person at a time, and you can think of it as as relationship rich. So very much connected to the themes that you and Cassie were talking about earlier. It's it's a high EQ activity. Mary, I have a question for you. Where did you come up with the idea for this kind of a book? And, you know, you're talking to us about selling an idea. How did you get the idea for the book, and how did you sell that idea? Because it seems to me like people would say, wow, you know, we're all good salespeople. Why do we need this? Yeah, that's interesting. Well, it goes back to the work that Richard and I, my co-author Richard Shell and I, had been doing for years at Wharton, and specifically his his executive negotiation workshop that's that's one of the places where all this started and and what he heard again and again uh from the executives that he works with and then um and I as well began to hear this is that some of their most difficult negotiations are the internal ones hmm. the, the you know our expectation was that that executives would want to focus on selling to to vendors and other outside parties but you know, they had a lot of war stories, bloody war stories, about how hard it is to get their ideas sold internally. So we started to think about that and use some of our negotiation tools to to help them. But what we found is that uh, that those internal sales required uh, a, a different kind of skill set related to the negotiation skill set 
but also in, importantly different. Uh, importantly different. So we started uh, working with executives on on influence and persuasion and what we came to call what we came to call selling ideas. And I can come back to um, what's behind that idea again. But started working on the tools, refining them, and what we found is that it's it's there's an there's an important difference which we touched on uh, just a little bit earlier in our conversation. It's very relationship based, and so while when you're negotiating with an outside vendor, let's say uh, there are you know certain situations where you can think transactionally about it. It's a one-time deal. You don't have to think about the long-term relationship. At work, inside an organization, it's very rare that you don't have to have that long time horizon, and that really changes everything. You know, Mario, one of the things that stands out just from what you're saying, if the hardest negotiations are at work, which is, which is a great um, finding, you know, it's probably the credibility and the relationship base, like you said, that I think a lot of uh, leaders don't take that time, you know, to, to fo- focus on their relationship or focus on their credibility. That's right. You you can't um, you can't rush it. Um, actually, a story that we tell in the book comes to mind that that I, I think is relevant in connection with your observation. And, uh, Richard Parsons at Time Warner. Richard Parsons, is, who's about to step down as as CEO, a few years back, heard that Carl Icahn, the the famous or notorious corporate raider, had his sights on him and and uh, wanted to dislodge him from his position. And interestingly, the the first thing that Parsons did when he when he heard about uh, Icon's plans was to research everything that he could find about Icon's background. And the point is, you know, he really wanted to get to know who this person was. And then he did something that might might sound pretty trivial, but it really is extraordinary. He actually went over to Icon's office, sat down with him, and got to know him. And over the, the ensuing months, spent a lot of time talking to him face-to-face. And in the end, Icon backed off. And so he took the time to get to know a potential adver- adversary and eventually turned him into a, a friend. I, it, Icon concluded after months that he actually liked Parsons, and uh, he dropped his bid to unseat him. Well, that's a, that's a great example of, of the relationships and taking the time, because I think that's one of the, these micro-initiatives that leaders don't want to take at the time. I think we uh, need to go to the break, and we'll be right back talking with Dr. Mario Musa. The Bottom Line in Business, Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. 
Once upon a time, there lived three energy hogs. Now, an energy hog is what you have when humans waste energy. One day, the three energy hogs set out to find themselves a cottage. Let's look for leaky windows, said the first energy hog, for he knew that would waste energy. Let's look for leaky doors, said the second. Let's look for a swing set, said the third, for he had more blubber than brains. So they set off down the road. Presently, they came upon a tiny cottage where dwelled a clever girl named Dreadylocks. I hope it has leaky windows, cried the first energy hog. I hope it has leaky doors cried the second. I hope it had the bathroom, cried the third, for only his brains were smaller than his bladder. But Dreadilocks liked playing cool games at energyhog.org, and from energyhog.org she learned how to use energy wisely. So the three energy hogs were forced to look elsewhere to waste energy, and had to use the disgusting restroom at the gas station down the road. And the moral of the story is, to use energy wisely, log on to energyhog.org, or waste not, hog not. This public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. Homeowners, real estate investors, bankers, listen up and tune in to Finance, Foreclosures, and Foresight, the show that breaks it all down and gives it to you straight. Are you at risk of foreclosure? Interested in buying a foreclosed property? Mark Bull has the answers to the questions you might forget to ask. Finance, Foreclosures, and Foresight broadcast live on the Voice America Business Channel, Monday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific. You can't afford not to tune in. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. You're listening to Dr. Raleigh Nadler and Dr. Kathy Greenberg. Our guest today is Dr. Mario Musa talking about the art of woo. And Mario, let's go back to your question about selling an idea. What do you look for to know an idea is ready to be pitched? Yeah, that's a that's a really great question. And it goes right to the heart of what a lot of us don't do enough of, which is uh which is preparation. Uh, so that's that's where it all starts. And so one, um, the first uh, first step is to ask yourself, well, what kind of uh, what kind of persuader am I to really know yourself? Uh, earlier, you were talking about self awareness, and that's a big part of uh, being a good good persuader. So knowing how you communicate, whether you like numbers, whether you like vision, whether you like uh, whether you like relationships, uh, that's key. And then knowing if you're introverted or extroverted or tend to focus on what you're thinking or the other's thinking. All that's part of the, the leadership or persuader mix, if you like. And then uh, when it comes specifically to your idea, it's important to talk to as many people as you can, experts and others and possibly people who disagree with you, uh, so that you are, you're really clear that you're up to speed on your idea. You know what you're talking about. And then an, an, another Im, important step, and it's it's interesting how much um, how often we would just blow right past this, is to give your ideas time to cook. Uh, that's absolutely critical, and I, I always emphasize that with with executives. Don't go off half cocked. Make sure that you've done as much background research as you can, and then uh, give your time, give yourself time to just 
you know, set the idea aside. Uh, let let your mind be running, uh, uh, you know, analyzing the idea uh, kind of off to the side, and then, then catch the insights as they come up. And the reason that's so important is what we know actually from a lot of cognitive research uh, lately is that there's a conscious mind and there's an unconscious mind, and they think in different ways. And sometimes the unconscious mind can solve problems even better than the conscious mind. So do your research, take time, and, uh, and, then, uh, and then you want to spend time sh- finally when you're, when you're ready to go on the road, so to speak, with your idea and make the sale, getting input from friends and, and shaping and, and refining the idea. And this is really critical. It's a, it's a kind of a, it's a last test before you, you take your idea public. And just a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to an executive in one of our persuasion workshops, and he said to me, you know, it just happened, and I, I thought I had a really great idea, and I was talking to one of my colleagues, and he convinced me that I'm wrong. You know, what do I do about that? And I said, well, so much the better. Uh, you learn from that, and it was probably an indication that you really hadn't thought enough about the idea. So, uh, you know, if you hear comments along the way from friends or, you know, even people who tend to disagree with you that lead you to rethink your idea, then that'll just put you in a stronger position down the line. Good point. I think uh, along those lines, Mario, that's some of the objections that salespeople might have. So if you hear that ahead of time um, from one person, not everybody's going to have it, but at least you'd be prepared to how do you respond to those objections. Right, exactly. Don't be afraid of them. You know, think of those, really think, think of those, the, uh, the, you know, the skeptics as your friends. Uh, they're going to help you make a, a much stronger case for your idea than you would otherwise. Well, the other part that I think is great in this uh, process is how you are building uh, allies you know, and getting and sharing your ideas and sharing your input. So I imagine is that is that part of the part of the persuasion too that not only you're getting ideas from them, but in a sense you're doing mini cells with them. Right. Absolutely. There's um, there's uh, we, we, there's something that we call the uh, the the stepping stone strategy, mm-hmm. and it, it's connected to your question. And uh, what that means is you need to think about who are the key people that I want to get on board. Uh, with my idea, and and then specifically, who should I you know who should I approach first? Who's the most important person uh, that, that I want to win over? And then where do I go from there? And uh, what the rock star Bono, who happens to be a very effective persuader in his philanthropic work, has a has a question that we've that we've incorporated. He always asks when when he's about to launch an initiative, who's the Elvis? Who's the most important person that I that I need to persuade? And then he targets, uh, then he targets that person. And you know, step by step, he builds support for an initiative. And it works the same way inside of inside of an organization. And what happens over time is you build momentum, or what we call a, a snowball effect. The more people get behind your ideas, the harder it is to disagree with your idea. And that has to do with a basic psychological fact: social pressure. Or, or peer pressure, people take their cues from what others are doing. And if into the bargain you can get a few high-credibility people on your side, that's really important. I mean, actually, it just, um, uh, just puts me in mind of the political campaign, you know, the, the, the uh, recent announcement mm-hmm. that Ted Kennedy is going to be supporting Obama, I think is interesting in that respect. You know, you know, with some voters, a high-credibility per, uh, person putting his support of a, behind a candidate, that can mean a lot. 
And so, you know, there's something we can learn from that when it comes to selling our own ideas inside our, our companies and organizations. One of the things you said, Mario, is since selling an idea uh, is different, do you as an individual have to be different when you're selling an idea? Like, we all have our style, okay? You mm-hmm. call it our persuasion channel. Mm-hmm. Um, is one channel better than another? And what if I'm the aggressive type? Do I need to back off? Is there a line between being credible and authentic and, and um, being able to persuade? Sure. And a lot of us, I think, are uncomfortable, potentially uncomfortable with the, you know, the very idea of persuasion because we feel that it, it might really be manipulation. But, um, but for us, what it's, what it's about is being sensitive to your situation. So uh, the, the, the answer to your question starts with uh, an, analysis of, uh, an analysis of the situation that you're in. Who do I need to, uh, to persuade, and what are, they, what are they going to respond to? So you may be an aggressive person by nature. When you step back and think about the person you're going to be talking to who may be soft-spoken, introverted, you'll see that you need to dial down your your aggressiveness a little bit in order for you to make a connection with them. And as we said earlier, it all begins with that, you know, that feeling of connection with, with relationships. So, uh, so effective persuaders are uh, what we like to call credible chameleons. That is, they're credible. Uh, they, uh, they are, in, they are, they are sincere, but they're also, they're also adaptive. That's the, that's the chameleon part versus a, what, uh, what we call a Popeye executive. You remember the, the cartoon character Popeye used to say, I am what I am. And that attitude is, uh, is, is dangerous when it comes to selling your ideas. If you can't be flexible, if you can't switch channels, as we like to say, let's say from data to vision or from interest, uh, from interest to politics, if you aren't comfortable being flexible in, in that way, then you're probably going to run aground over, over differences. And if you, look back, if you look back through history at some of the great persuaders, and we, we tell a lot of these stories in the book, like, like uh, Charles Lindbergh when he was selling the idea of his flight across the Atlantic, what you'll see is uh, they they started with thinking about the situation they were in, and then they adapted. For example, Charles Charles Lindbergh uh, he had this great idea uh, flying across the Atlantic, but he just had a you know a few problems. Nobody knew him. He had no money, and he had no plane. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he saw quickly that he was going to need to get a few key backers uh, behind him, a few key investors. And to do that, he was going to have to be a bit of a promoter, you know, classic salesperson type. But think about, think about his profile. He's a pilot. He's a male pilot. Uh, he, you know, he flies at night by himself. He was introverted, but he was clear about his goals, and he was also clear about how he needed to adapt his style to be a, a, effective. So, uh, so this is really not be- about becoming a different person. It's about being flexible and, and adaptive. And what we like to say is you might think about how you're, you are different in different situations, yet you're still the same person. You're still authentic. You're slightly different at work. You're slightly different with your kids. You're slightly different when you're talking to your kids' teachers, and so on and, and so forth. But it doesn't mean you become a, a different person in each 
situation, what you're doing is is responding to the social cues that give you guidance about what's going to be effective and what's appropriate and and what's not. It's the same point really when it comes to uh, selling your ideas. So the this process that we've laid out is all about you know teaching you how to be sensitive to those social cues. I mean that's that's basic. EQ, and then adapting your style in, in such a way that you build your credibility and make it make a connection, and then you take the sale from there. So, Mario, one of the things that interests me, and maybe for the listeners too, you've been talking about these channels, and I think you have six different channels, and, and maybe you can say a little bit about what they are, and is, is the goal to be good at all of them and using them appropriately? Yeah, well, what, uh, what we found through our research is that there are there are six basic ways that we communicate uh, that we communicate at at work, and there's there's research on this that goes back uh, thirty forty years, and and uh, we call those those uh, those those channels, and so the the six are authority, data, vision, relationships, interests, and and politics. Mm-hmm. And there's a survey in the book that gives you feedback about your your preference for one one or the other, and you know some of us like using our authority. Some of us are are not comfortable in situations where we have to appeal to it. Some of us are numbers people. Some of us aren't, and 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 so forth. So, uh, the the where the selling process starts is to look at what your preferences are, and then to think about. Give some thought to what's going to resonate with the person or the group that you're trying to reach. And a common common mistake that we make is to assume if we're comfortable in a channel, the other person is a, is comfortable in that channel. But uh, it, re- it really doesn't work that way. I was working not long ago with an executive at a large financial services corporation. And he said, you know, I'm the I'm the kind of person who lets I'm the kind of executive who lets the the numbers speak for themselves. And I said, well, that's that's fine, but they don't really speak for everybody. Mm-hmm. So you may be really comfortable working with numbers, but you uh, you need to give some thought to what's gonna what's gonna build a bridge to the person that you're you're talking to. Mary, not only do a lot of executives use that term, you know, I like to let the numbers do the talking for me, but they also, in some instances, will use their authority power to influence versus actually wooing through relationships. Can you comment on that a little bit? Sure, yeah. There was a, there was a, there was a profile of Jeffrey Immelt, the, the CEO of General Electric, uh, in the papers about a year ago or so, and he was reflecting on his, his leadership at the at the company to date, and it was interesting. He made a comment specifically about his his authority, and what he said is, if he uses his his formal authority more than seven or eight times a year, I mean, think about it. You know, a fifty, sixty billion dollar corporation or more. Uh, if he uses his formal authority seven or eight more than seven or eight times a year, he's a failure. He said. And then, then the next question is: Well, if he's not using his his formal authority, what is he doing? He's he's <clears throat> he's selling ideas, he's influencing, he's persuading, and in in short, he's wooing. You know, why is it so important to woo, even if you're the person in charge? And it, as as Immelt observed, it's it's important because if you're using your informal authority again and again and again to get people to do what you want them to do. 
in the end, you're going to drive the very best people away. The yes, smartest that, people, the most creative people. people right into your ideas. I think right. we're going to go to a break, and we'll come back right after. The bottom line in business. Voice America Business. Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better. What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Before every word, there is a thought. Before every action, there is a thought. If everything starts with a leader, what happens when leaders around the world start to think and do things differently? I'm thinking the world will change. Evolve the leader. Evolve the company. Change the world. Join Susan Kavanaugh for Summit Speed. All leaders rise. Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Adding fractions is nothing. For real? Look, these are denominators. You multiply this one so that it's the same as that, then you add them up. Man, that's easy. Charles Bennett dreamed of returning to the old neighborhood as a teacher. But without money for college, only half of his dream came true. He's back in the old neighborhood. Well, enough math. i got to deliver these sandwiches. Please support the United Negro College Fund. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. A message from the UNCF and the Ad Council. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News with Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Dr. Roy Nadler. We're talking with uh, Dr. Mario Musso about um, persuasion and influence. And before we left, Mario, I just want to get one uh, thing cleared up about your channels, authority, data, vision, relationship, and interest. last one was just politics. Maybe you can just say a word of what politics uh, is, and then we can move on to the other questions. Sure, yeah. Politics is about coalitions. It's about coalition building. And the point there is some people are really sensitive to whether others are backing an idea or not. And and so you want to make sure that if you're talking to someone who's really uh, pays a lot of attention to the political aspect of, of an idea, 
that you show that you've got others uh, that you've got others behind you in the way that that for example Charles Lindbergh was able to do when he was selling the idea of flying across the Atlantic is the idea picked up steam and built momentum it became more and more powerful because he could show that there were a number of people backing this idea it wasn't just just his idea so when you're on the political channel you're sensitive to that uh, to group support and if you're talking to people who are political animals, they're going to be sensitive to it as well. Mario, everyone, it, it appears from what you're saying, can relate to, to being in a conversation with someone. You know, they can relate to talking about a subject. Um, but sometimes people are talking, as you just described, perhaps through the political nature of the conversation, the politics of the conversation, but they're not really connecting. Um, what do you need to do differently? Are there are there any barriers we need to be aware of that we can overcome in these kinds of conversations when we're selling an idea? Absolutely, absolutely. Often, often when we're in that situation and we feel that we're not connecting, what we tend to do is push uh, harder and harder, harder, or you know, like the stereotypical tourist in a foreign country and speaking a foreign language or trying yeah, we just to louder and louder usually. yeah right louder and louder <laughs> and louder uh, so that doesn't work um, we know from all the research that that doesn't work what does work is to remove the barriers to yes as as we put it and there are there are five and we've talked about some of them but to, to summarize their uh, their uh, credibility uh, credibility and, and relationships, those are key, and that's where it all starts. If you don't have credibility, if you don't have some kind of working relationship with a person or group you're trying to reach, uh, you're not even going to get out of the starting blocks. And then there are beliefs, and uh, deeply held beliefs, and you really want to try to steer clear of those uh, beliefs. For example, let's say you've got a great idea at work that requires some investment, and you're trying to sell that idea to the CFO who has devoted her entire career to cutting costs. You're probably not going to get anywhere with uh, with that person. So you've got to, in some way, find a way to steer around that belief, reframe your idea so it doesn't go head-to-head, head-on with that conflicting belief. And then there's communication, uh, which we have talked about you want to make sure that you're on you're on the right channel and then uh, then finally interests and what we know about interests is that human beings are basically self-interested people and no one does anything really that they perceive as undermining their interests so you want to always give some thought to the other's interest when you're selling your idea and, and think about how your idea can help them help advance their their interests and you know just taking a moment stepping back and asking that question how can how can this idea help them or why they, why might they say no can help you think about ways to reframe your idea uh, so that it, it it doesn't hit a conflicting interest head on and the way we summarize these barriers is by by talking about the bricks uh, beliefs relationships interest credibility and communication remove the bricks and once you remove the bricks and even turn them into assets, you stand a much better chance of being heard and generating a pull for your idea rather than you trying to push your idea. And what we know, again, from the psychological research is if someone isn't already inclined to agree with you, you start pushing your idea, their resistance is going to go way up. And so the brick it has, uh, just to repeat that for the listeners, has is four or is it's, it five? Uh, it's uh, five bricks. Uh, or five barriers, beliefs, relationships, interests, 
credibility in communication. Oh, okay. Good. Well, good. So um, thinking about this, um, would you say, from, you know, from your experience and your research, uh, is there a difference between men and women as persuaders? Well, I would, uh, I'll talk about what, what we found in the research, and I'm, 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 con- I'm conscious that we're talking to at least one woman expert, so I'm interested in her point of view. But so, uh, so, far as, uh, so far as I know, there's no data that show that men or women are better persuaders. Uh, what, we, what we have concluded is anybody can be a good persuader. The, the key is knowing the basic steps and practicing them re- relentlessly and you know we've we've talked about those steps so far in our conversation you know analyzing the situation removing the barriers making a a, a good pitch we may want to spend a little time talking about how you can make your pitch effective and then finally making sure that people are ready to follow through on their agreements and i think anyone can get better at that at managing that idea selling Process and uh, and we just haven't been able to uncover dif- gender differences. But I'm but uh, it's an interesting question, and uh, you know we'll, we'll see where the research goes and open to hearing different perspectives on it. Well, can I just um, just debate that just a second? Sure. As, a, as yeah. a woman who who does like to persuade, I think that some of the research will show that women are more naturally inclined um, to spend time building a relationship generally before they ask for a request or before mm-hmm. they make a pitch or before they try to do a sale. Would that have some, perhaps, influence on their ability to persuade? It could. It, it absolutely could. A lot depends, of course, on the the situation or the company that you're selling an idea in. Some companies are more relationship oriented than others. Uh, for example, Google, we know, and we have a story about Google in the book, is a, you know, is a famously data-oriented company, and, and Google tends to believe that you know, their decisions are fact-based, they're, they're objective, and they actually have a, they've specifically designed an idea-selling process that, that, seems, that seems to aim at taking the relationship aspect out of the idea-selling process. So, you know, a lot depends on the situation that you're in, but certainly if you're relationship-oriented and if it is the case that women are more relationship-oriented than women, then they may well have a leg up when it comes to a, a, a key aspect of the process. Well, that makes sense. It sounds as though the way you present a message or an idea may be more important than its content. Can you comment on that? Yeah, it, it's uh, it's a little bit of both. I think you need both uh, both good content and a good a good message. But if um, we know uh, from history, you know, there there are you know lots and lots and lots of ideas in the in the idea graveyard uh, that were that were great ideas but didn't go anywhere because they they weren't presented well. So uh, so you need both. You need good content and you need a good uh, you need a good message. In the, uh, in the last month, let me just give you a quick fact here. In the last month, 78% of all executives have slept through a presentation. <laughs> so, I think on, on that note, we're going to go to a break, <laughs> and we'll be right back. The Bottom Line in Business, Voice America Business. 
Most leaders underestimate their influence and power over others and thus underperform. Dr. Relly Nadler and Leaders Playbook help leaders point the way by providing the strategic place to get to the top in a simple paint-by-the-numbers process. Seasoned and emerging leaders will have answers to these questions. What are the steps to move up and become a star in your organization? How do you develop your people to be the next level leaders in the organization? What are your triggers that are holding you back and how do you manage them? How do you maximize your power and influence so you and your team perform better? What do you do to ensure your communication is received accurately? How do you delegate effectively? How do you develop strong relationships across the organization? Emotional intelligence training, coaching, books, and tools by Dr. Nadler are available at his website, www.truenorthleadership.com or 805-683-1066. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities and real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Dad, let's sing that bedtime song. Rock-a-bye, baby, by Newton's treetop. His first law of motion, make sure you won't stop. The same rules of physics apply to a ball. While gravity is a force that makes things fall. By the sixth grade, many girls lose interest in math and science. But it's never too early to set your daughter's future in motion. For some simple ideas, go to girlsgotech.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Girl Scouts of USA and Ad Council. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You're listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions that you're just dying to ask, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back. Leadership Development News with Dr. Kathy Greenberg, and this is Dr. Rowie Nadler. We're talking with uh, Dr. Mario Musa, and we just left talking about how 78% of all executives have slept in a, in a presentation. And I'm wondering, um, Mario, what would you say to someone that you're coaching, you know, that they are doing a presentation and they're noticing that one of their key stakeholders is falling asleep? Are there, you know, aside from pounding the table, what, what could they do to, to maybe change their tactics? Yeah. Switch channels. Yeah. Okay. And there's a there's a story we tell in the book about about Bono talking to the the uh, arch conservative senator Jesse Helms. Bono was pitching one of his UN initiatives, and he started off in in, a, in the way that uh, that he can do lots of facts and figures, machine gun style, very fast. He's very smart. He's very quick. And two or, two or three minutes into his pitch, Jesse Helms was literally falling asleep. Mm. And you know, Bono saw that, thought about it, adapted, and he switched from facts 
to inspiration or data to vision. He started quoting the Bible. He started telling stories about uh, mothers leaving their children orphaned and orphans walking from village to village with no one to take care of them. And and after two or three minutes of, of that, Jesse Helms literally stood up and hugged Bono, and he said, I'll do anything for you. And the <laughs> point there is Bono was sensitive enough to see that he just couldn't keep on barreling through in the same direction he started in. And that's the tendency a lot of us have. We get anxious, and we just do what we're doing, and we do it harder and louder. Now, when you're working with folks, and I, I think there's a term that Goldman I first heard, some people are mind blind. And so, just like you're saying, they don't they were not able to read that Jesse Helms was falling asleep or that their audience isn't with them. Um, I'm wondering just from that aspect, you know, so let's say someone is mind blind and they're just not that adept at picking that up. Are there some strategies that you maybe help them with? Well, it does help it, it does help to take the surveys and and understand what your communication preferences are and understand what if you're more self-oriented than other oriented. So that that can be a big help, but in the end, if you decide you're just so blind that you can't see the social cues, it may be that the best strategic decision for you is to let someone else mm-hmm. carry the banner of your idea. You know, you work behind the scenes, but let others be the you know the public mm-hmm. spokespeople, so to speak. Well, so me, you know that piece of self knowledge can be that. useful. Yeah, I want to ask you a question about that because coming from two of the largest consulting firms in the world, often uh, the good persuaders um, got to do the hard work. So does being a good persuader get you stuck in doing more hard work uh, right, right. before yeah, the real good, work begins? Yeah, good question. Well, I, I, in, our experience, uh, in our experience, no, and here's why. Because if you're, if you're a good persuader, you're getting others on board with your idea, and then, uh, then they own it, and what we find is that then they want to they wanna push it they want to push it forward. So if you're you're a good persuader, you're moving from as, as we like to put it, from me to we. You're starting with your idea, but then you're creating that sense of ownership. That's the that's the we part. And once people really own an idea and they're inspired by it, they're fired up, you can get them to do work. It's when you really haven't done the selling at the beginning of the process that you've got to be pushing the rock up uh, uphill all by yourself. Just a, one big question here, and I don't know if there's a real answer to it, but are there any such things as people getting persuaded into a bad idea, meaning, you know, somebody actually gets behind an idea uh, just because other people got behind it and they feel they need to get there too? Right, right. It can happen. It can happen, and we, you know, we all know examples from corporate history and political history of bad people selling bad ideas. Um, Hitler comes to mind. Stalin comes to mind. But uh, what we like to say is the real test, and I think what you're, at least in my mind, what you're raising is a is an ethical question. What we're talking about here is is tools to be an effective persuader. Anyone can use that tool. Use those tools, a good person, a bad person. But the ethical test is if you're using those tools and you're selling a particular idea, could you, could you describe your strategy on the front page of the Wall Street Journal and mm-hmm. feel good about it? And that's the, that's the ethical test. And I think if uh, no one likes to be seen as uh, unethical. No one likes to be seen as bad. 
And uh, so that's what's really key. Have people been persuaded to follow uh, bad ideas to buy them? Absolutely, they they have. But in in the end, uh, you know, at least in part, what we're talking about here is a really an unethical process, or at least we like to think of it that way. And so it's really founded on on character. We're committed to selling ideas on the foundation of of strong character. Oh, good point. I'm curious, uh, Mario, just around the kind of the education uh, aspects of how you, tra- you know, what are the actual techniques that you're training people. Um, you know, one of the things I just heard yesterday that had influence on me, this is from uh, Larry Bossidy's book, Execution, that the unit of work in the business world is really the conversation. Mm-hmm. Kind of an interesting way to say that. Yeah. Um, but so, so then what kind of, you know, how do you train people? I mean, I, I know there's a lot of upfront work that, that you're encouraging them to do, but um, you know, what would be some of the, you know, the couple key tools or tips, you know, for someone to be a key persuader that they could actually do homework on and practice with? Sure. Uh, sure. Take the, take the surveys okay. and, uh, and really understand yourself and then practice. Uh, practice is key. It's just like a, it's just like a sport. Uh, you don't get better just thinking about it or, or reading about it. So if, if you get, some insight into yourself, and then you understand the four steps that we have talked about. You know, analyze the situation, remove the barriers, make your pitch, secure commitments. If you really understand those steps, and then uh, practice them uh, bit by bit, getting feedback from your friends or a colleague or even a, a coach like yourselves. Over time, you'll get better in, in exactly in the way that you get better if you play a lot of golf. It really takes time and it takes application. You know, and I think along those lines, I know from executives that I deal with, I'm sure you also and Kathy, they don't have the time and they don't take the time. And then we're also talking about the unconscious aspects. You know, they don't have time for their unconscious to really um, work on things. Sure. So it sounds like some of that is really giving them, you know, some instructions or, or time to, you know, be be on their own, let the unconscious come up to the forefront. Um. Sure. Yeah, well, what I would like to say when uh, when executives raise the issue of time is is failing to prepare is is preparing to fail. Mm-hmm. And so we know that we know that preparation matters and uh we also know and uh, you know you to the two of you know this even better than I do that all almost all effective leaders spend time uh, a little bit of time every day reflecting on their leadership that that's critical and there's there's a lot of research that's been done re- recently demonstrating that fact so it really is uh, it really is important to yeah. build that time into your day you know however however it works for you Mary I have one question for you that I've been sitting here kind of figuring out how to ask and that is when when we look at some of these political leaders right now that are uh, you know in the spotlight, um, I always think: Are they walking into a room trying to please the audience, or are they communicating in an authentic way that allows the audience to be persuaded by them? What What's your take on that? Yeah, I think the best uh, the best political leaders uh, find a balance between uh, between authenticity and uh, authenticity on one hand simply being who they are no matter what no matter who they're talking to that's at one end of the spectrum and then spin 
you know, being whoever uh, a crowd wants them to be. And I think to be an effective leader, you need you need both. Uh, you need to find the the right balance because if you're simply yourself and you're not paying attention to what others want and need, you're not going to get your message across. And if you go the other direction and you're a spinmeister, over time you're going to lose your credibility. So the the key there is balance. Terrific. I, I know all of us have to spend many, many hours thinking about how to get a loved one, <laughs> a child, uh, somebody that we work with, uh, to even get an idea of the, the amount of time and the magnitude of the persuasion that's necessary to get an idea through an organization uh, is, is huge, and it takes a lot of thought. And I think your book, The Art of Woo, is really helpful, not only on a professional level, but also on a personal level. I want to thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. I really enjoyed the conversation. And, Mario, before we end, maybe just let us know how to get in contact with your book and, and you, and then uh, for people who want more information. Sure. Uh, there's a website. It's uh, theartofwoo, all one word, dot com, theartofwoo.com. And uh, that's probably the, the best way and the easiest way to get in touch. And then there are email addresses there, and you can follow those through and talk to us directly, which is always fun. Well, great. Thank you very much, Mario. Uh, I'm really glad that you had this relationship with Kathy and it's going to bring you on. It's fascinating information, given that we're all communicating all the time. Oh, thank you, really. So this has been Leadership Development News. Um, we'll be back next week with some another uh, topic around how to raise leadership for you and for your people. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Drs. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you're leaving us today with some great ideas and inspiration from today's top leaders. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel. 